the Alps of the New Testament. That's how scholars have described the New Testament book of Ephesians. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus as we set off for a new and exciting journey through the high peaks of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. So as you grab your copy of God's Word and find your place, here's Dr. McGee reading an article that he received many years ago. Here is something that a listener sent to me, and I want to share it with you. It appeared in a magazine, and it's, I think, very timely. Let me read it. And the title is, Be Proud of Being a Square. Square? Another of the good old words has gone the way of love, modesty, and patriotism. Something to be snickered over or outright laughed at. Why, it used to be that there was no higher compliment you could pay a man than to call him a square shooter. But today, a square is a guy who volunteers when he doesn't have to. He's a guy who gets his kicks from trying to do a job better than anyone else. He's a boob who gets so lost in his work he has to be reminded to go home. He hasn't learned to cut corners or goof off. This nut we call a square gets all choked up when he hears children singing, My country, tis of thee. He even believes in God and says so in public. A square is a guy who lives within his means, whether the Joneses do or not, and thinks his Uncle Sam should too. He doesn't want to fly now and pay later. A square is likely to save some of his own money for a rainy day rather than count on using yours. A square gets his books out of the library instead of the drugstore. He tells his son it's more important to play fair than to win. Imagine, a square is a guy who reads the Scripture when nobody's listening. He wants to see America first in everything. He believes in honoring mother and father and do unto others and that kind of stuff. So, will all of you who answer this description please stand up? Stand up and be counted, you squares who turn the wheels and dig the fields and move mountains and put rivets in your dreams, you squares who dignify the human race, you squares who hold the thankless world in place. This square never needs to look for a job or ask for a raise. He's in demand everywhere. That's it. And it's a good article, by the way. Shall we look to God in prayer? Our gracious, loving Father God, we thank you today that there are still men and women that are holding to the old basic truths and facts that made us a great nation. And as we see today that there are men and women who are tearing it down, they're tearing it down in the name of of being new and up-to-date and innovative and original. Oh, God, help us to go back to the old paths and that path that leads to a cross. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Now here's Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee to begin our study in the book of Ephesians. Paul, as a Roman citizen, had appealed his case before Nero, who was the Caesar at that particular time. He wrote them while he was imprisoned in Rome and was waiting to be heard. Now, this quartet of men and their respective places of abode can be identified. Epaphroditus was from Philippi, and he had the epistle to the Philippians. Tychicus was from Ephesus, and he had the epistle to the Ephesians. Now, the scriptures for that you find in Philippians 4.18 for Epaphroditus, for Tychicus, and Ephesians 6.21. I'll not turn to the scriptures because as we take up these epistles, I'll make reference to it. Now, Epaphras was from Colossae, and that's in Colossians 4.12, and he had the epistle to the Colossians. And then there was a man by the name of Onesimus, He was a runaway slave from Colossae. Philemon, verse 10. And he had the epistle to Philemon, and Philemon was his master, who was a believer in Christ. Now, these epistles present a composite picture of Christ, the church, the Christian life, and the interrelationship and functioning of all. These different facets present the Christian life on the highest plane, by the way. Now, Ephesians, the one that we're going to take up, presents the church, which is his body. This is the invisible church, of which Christ is the head. And Colossians presents Christ, the head of the body of the church. You see, in Ephesians, the emphasis is upon the body. In Colossians, the emphasis is upon the head. And in Philippians, that presents Christian living with Christ as the dynamic. I can do all things in Christ which strengtheneth me, Paul says in Philippians 4.13. Now, Philemon presents Christian living in action in a pagan society. Paul could write to Philemon, who was the master of this man Onesimus, and say, If thou count me therefore a prisoner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. Now, in other words, friends, the gospel walked in shoe leather in the first century, and by the way, it worked. And that is the thing that we're going to see in this epistle of Ephesians, as well as these others, when we come to them. Dr. Arthur Pearson called Ephesians Paul's third heaven epistle. Another's called it the Alps of the New Testament. It's the Mount Whitney of the high Sierras of all Scripture. It is the church epistle. And we now have arrived at what many expositors consider the highest peak of scriptural truth, the very apex and the very acme of Bible revelation is in Ephesians. Now, that may well be true. Some even suggest that Ephesians is so profound that none but the very elect, in other words, the chosen few, 
are the only ones that can understand it. And I've always noticed that the folk who say that, they always include themselves in that inner circle. I want to be very candid with you. I do not even pretend to be able to probe and to plumb the depths of this epistle, nor to ascend to its heights. This epistle is lofty and it's heady. It's difficult to breathe the rarefied air of this epistle. And you're going to find that out when we get in it, too. I'm going to do the very best I can with the aid of the Holy Spirit as our guide to understand it. And I do want to make this statement here at the very beginning, and we'll see it now in just a moment. The two books of the Bible that men have always said you can't understand them are Ephesians and Revelation. Liberalism likes to say Revelation is just a conglomerate of symbols that no one can figure them out, and that Ephesians is so high that it's too high for us. Well, let me say this that the two books of the Bible that can be arranged mathematically and logically are Ephesians and Revelation. There are no two books as logical as they are. Now, I have attempted to write a book known as Briefing the Bible. We've mentioned that on the program, but that's one of the first books I wrote because I wanted to know what the Bible was about. I got tired of hearing folks say, I believe the Bible from cover to cover, and they didn't even know what was in the covers at all. They just had the pious statement, their creed was, I believe it. Well, if you believe it's God's Word, my friend, you're going to try to find out what it says and get off of this gimmick line that many are on today and always talking about methods and how we can increase the number in Sunday school, how we can communicate with the younger generation, and how we can, you know, better organize the church. Well, that's all fine. It has its place. But let me tell you this. The important thing is to know what's in the book. And we attempted to go through and outline every book of the Bible. I have that in Briefing the Bible. Now, Ephesians... And Revelation were the two easiest books in the Bible to outline. You know why? They're logical. Now, I don't pretend to be able to understand them, but I do want to say this. You can outline them, and Paul is logical in Ephesians, and John is logical in Revelation. The book of Revelation is outlined for us. He was told to write the things you have seen. Things are things that will be. Now, that's a threefold division, and it's arranged according to sevens. Now, the epistle to the Ephesians is logical. And the very interesting thing is you can outline it very easily. And so I'd like to just say a word about the outline of this epistle. And then I want to say a word about Paul and Ephesus, because that's important for us to see. Now, there are six chapters here. The first three chapters, you have the heavenly calling of the church. This is the doctrinal side. In the last three chapters, you have the earthly conduct of the church, which is very practical. You see, the church 
has a head. The head of the church is Christ. He's in heaven. We're identified with him. But you see, the feet of the church are down here on the earth. And Paul won't leave you sitting up there in the heavenlies. Because one of the things he's tell you, beginning of chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what he's saying is this. He says, Christian, it's nice to sit up there in the heavenlies and boast of your position in Christ. But he says, for goodness sakes, get down out of your high chair and start walking because you need to walk. And remember, in that day, they were walking in a pagan society in the Roman world. Then there's something else that I think is quite interesting. He says also, as soldiers, you're to stand. So when you get tired of sitting in the heavenlies, it might be well for you to come down to earth and walk down here on the earth. Now, that makes a nice division, does it not? First three chapters, doctrinal. Last three chapters, practical. And we need both. Don't just live in the first three chapters. Oh, they're wonderful. But get down here where we live today, right down where the rubber meets the road, right down here where the nitty-gritty is, where you live and move and have your being. Now, in chapter 1, it's very logical. The church is a body, chapter 1. Chapter 2, the church is a temple. And then chapter 3, the church is a mystery. Now, these are the three chapters of doctrine. Now, when you come down to the practical part in chapter 4, the church is a new man. That is, the church is to exhibit something new in the world, walking through the world as a new man. Then you have, in chapter 5, the church will be a bride. Now, don't get the idea that the church is a bride. The church is not a bride today. The church is a church. Paul said to the Corinthians, I've espoused you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I'm just getting you engaged. We're engaged to him today. But the church someday will be a bride. Then the church is a soldier of Jesus Christ. That's chapter 6. And a wag who heard me give this down in Florida, he said to me, he says, that's interesting. The church will be a bride, you say, and the church is a soldier. He says, you know, for a lot of marriages down here today, why, they get married first and then the fighting starts. Well, it ought not to be that way because that's not the way Paul gives it to us. Now, these are the practical aspects. The church is a soldier. There's an enemy to be fought today. There's a battle going on. And the bugle is sounded. And we need to stand today for God in this world. Now you have, in chapter 1, where we're going to begin, the church is a body. And you know that's interesting. Here again, you can divide it into three parts. And I'll come to this later, but just let me mention it now. God the Father planned the church, verses 3 through 6. God the Son paid the price for the church, verses 7 through 12. And then... God the Holy Spirit protects the church, verses 13 and 14. And this was so wonderful that Paul concluded chapter 1, prayer for knowledge and power. 
And we're going to pause for that too when we get there because this is great. This is wonderful. I hope it'll be meaningful to you. Now, let's look at Paul now in Ephesus because it's important for us to see this. I had the privilege back in 71 in May of visiting Turkey. And I visited all the seven churches of Asia Minor. And Ephesus is where I spent the most time. Now, to me, the greatest thrill of my ministry was to visit these seven churches. And the number one church was Ephesus. And a great city, by the way, as we shall see. Now, the Holy Spirit would not permit Paul on his second missionary journey to enter the province of Asia where Ephesus was the leading center. And we're told in Acts 16, 6, And when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now, in other words, the Holy Spirit put up a roadblock and said to Paul, you can't go down there now. Now, I do not know why, but it was not the right moment. And so this man... He went on west into Macedonia to Philippi, down to Berea, down to Athens, over to Corinth. And then on the way back, he came by Ephesus. And, oh, what a tremendous opportunity he saw there. In Acts eighteen nineteen, I read, he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And so this man Paul saw what a tremendous opportunity there was. And on his third missionary journey, he came here. And he discovered that another by the name of Apollos had been there in the interval and between his second and third missionary journeys. But he'd only preached the baptism of John, not the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. At that time... Why, he didn't know about it. Apollos didn't. Later on, he became a great preacher of the gospel himself. Now, Paul began a ministry there that was far-reaching. Actually, it's my firm conviction, having visited Turkey and has seen that area and read a great deal on the excavations that have been made there, that the greatest ministry that the gospel has ever had was in what is today modern Turkey. That in that day as today, there were millions of people living there. It was the very heart of the Roman Empire. The culture of Greece was no longer in Greece. It was now over along this coast, the western coast of Turkey. Ephesus being the leading city. Great cultural center, great religious center. And the Roman emperors came to this area. The climate was great. And it was a wonderful place to visit. Millions of people there, friends. And here is where the gospel had its greatest entrance. In fact, Paul could write. You remember later on, as he wrote to the Corinthians, he says, I'll tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is open unto me. And there are many adversaries. And he met opposition there. 
But did you know that he went into the synagogue, as Dr. Luke tells us in Acts 19, verses 8 through 10? He went into the synagogue. He spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitudes, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, this was a tremendous impact, friends, that the gospel made upon that area. Now, Paul began there in the synagogue. I wonder what some of these hyper-separationists who've written me, by the way, some very unlovely letters. They may be lovely Christians themselves, but they don't write lovely letters, I can tell you that. And they've criticized me for going into a Catholic monastery and giving out the Word of God. I wonder what they would say about Paul going into a synagogue, which was, I would say, in that day, actually farther from God than even a monastery. May I say to you, my friend today, I think that Paul would go anywhere if he could preach the gospel. And since that was the way he did it, I want to do it the same way. Now, I don't compromise with the system. I think the system is absolutely wrong. And when we get to Revelation, you're going to hear me say some very strong things. Some of you may wonder how I've been able to stay on the air all these years. But I want to make it very clear to you that I'll go anywhere I can preach the gospel, give the Word of God, and I want to say something else. I remember hearing the late Dr. Harry Rimmer. Someone criticized him in downtown Los Angeles for going out and speaking in a liberal church. And he answered like this. Why? He says, Madam, I would go to hell and preach the gospel if I had a return ticket. May I say to you, this idea today that we are to be so separated, my friend, let's get the Word of God out today and take it anywhere provided they'll let us take it. And do you know what? Here's one fellow that no one's been able to say that I don't give out the Word of God. You can't say that and be honest in making that statement. Therefore, I'll go anywhere I can. I go to all kinds of churches. I criticize the Pentecostals. But I go and preach for them too. Anywhere they let me give out the Word of God, I'll go. And my friends, I have a good example. Paul began in Ephesus, and the Word of God went out from there so that everyone in Asia heard it. Don't you want them to hear it today? Let's get the Word of God out. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. that's exactly what Through the Bible is all about, getting out the Word of God. It started more than 55 years ago on a single radio station here in Southern California and has since grown to reach listeners in more than 250 languages. Our objective, well, it's pretty simple and to the point. Get the whole Word to the whole world. And we'd love to have you partner with us. 
First, and most importantly, we'd love your prayers. You can visit ttb.org forward slash pray to sign up as a World Prayer Team member and receive our daily prayer prompts via email. Second, if the Lord is leading you to financially support the Bible bus, maybe by providing a tank of gas or a new set of tires, you can call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit ttb.org. Together, we can share God's Word with listeners like this woman in Mongolia. She says, I live in a remote district and recently was told about your programs from a friend. I decided to download them onto my phone and started to listen to them daily. Recently, my husband discovered my new interest on my phone and began to beat me. Please pray for him to allow me to listen and for my children to have interest in your messages. I will not give up my new faith. I still listen, but now from my sister's phone. Isn't that amazing? That lady has courage, doesn't she? Let's pray for her. God is at work through his word. Join us as we pray for listeners in Mongolia and millions of others by going to ttb.org forward slash pray. Now, speaking of the benefits of God's Word, our exciting journey through the book of Ephesians continues here next time. To get the most out of our studies, you can download your free copy of Dr. McGee's Notes and Outlines over at ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here holding open the doors of the Bible bus as you hop aboard. See you again soon. Today's study is always available, free to stream or download, thanks to the generous and faithful investments from your fellow Bible bus travelers. Just go to ttb.org or download our app to listen again anytime. As always, we'd love to know what's God teaching you.